Good morning. Are you excited to be here? Well, if you're new to City Church, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor. God bless you. Hey, those of you that were here last week, 74 people were baptized in our two services. Come on, isn't that amazing? Wow. And today is honestly a special day for a lot of reasons. Uh, One, it's because we're going to start a new teaching series. We'll get into it in a second. But another thing that we are really excited about and honored is that we have with us today the mayor of our great city of New Haven. So if we could give Mayor Tony Harp a big welcome. Come on, put your hands together and honor her. Come on out here. Now, You know, the scripture teaches that God has called us to honor our government officials. And I just want to take a minute and brag on you for a second, if that's okay. Um, Specifically in this area of serving the young people of the city of New Haven. Mayor Harp, for years and years and years, even long before she was mayor, has had a passion to see young people really succeed and thrive. And so I just want to list a couple things. In July 2016, Mayor Harp, with others, built and opened the New Haven Opportunity Center on Dixville Avenue. In 2015, launched a Saturday academic program in public schools to close the achievement gap. She met with students from Truman International School, represented 11 countries to encourage them that every person in this place has a country. She supported what's called the ESCAPE, which is being built right now. It's a multifaceted drop-in center for emergency shelter for youth at Bethlehem Zion Church. She's partnering with My Brother's Keeper Initiative, uh, which uh, proactively identifies contacts, delivers appropriate resources to disengaged youth. Uh, Mayor Harp has also traveled to Washington, D.C. in March to talk to members of the Federal Department of Education on how to reduce the achievement gap. Uh, The former U.S. Secretary of Education highlighted the city of New Haven as having done an incredible work in the area of restorative justice and working to abolish the school-to-prison pipeline. Her 10-year plan, which she's outlined for the school districts, includes helping to improve reading scores among second graders, instituting Saturday academics to support low-performing schools, and increasing investments in technology and equipment uh, for student use. I'm going to keep on going just for another minute. Sorry, I'm not trying to embarrass you. Uh, she attended the, uh, the Attendance Matters Gala to advocate for the decrease of chronic student absenteeism all across New Haven. Uh, she published the Youth at Work program uh, to continue operating despite losing its funding source from the state. This program provides jobs for more than 500 young people in the city. And she developed the Youth Stat Initiative in 2014, which tracks data to identify and engage at-risk youth and continues to champion the efforts of engaging youth in positive, productive behaviors across the entire city. Can we just say thank you for your tireless work, especially amongst the young people? You know, um, you know, I really, I really, really believe that um, if we're going to see New Haven become everything that I really believe God intends it to be, a city that's thriving and prosperous, that we have to make constant sacrifice and investment into the young people. And I'm just, I'm just really honored that, um, that you're here today and that also that that has been such a focus of, of your, uh, your government. So we made a little, little reminder for you, the Next Generation Award. We just want to give this to you just as a thank you. And we also just want to take a minute as a church just to bless this woman of faith. So can you stretch your hands out? Come on, stand to your feet, church. Let's just stretch our hands out and let's pray a blessing over Mayor Harp as she serves our city. Father in heaven, we thank you for our mayor. And we thank you, Jesus, uh, that you are using her, especially amongst these young people. God, we know all the challenges of leadership in the city. And I pray that you give her strength. I pray that, Jesus, she would know that the churches of this city support her and want to see this city thrive. And so we pray as a family of faith, a blessing, a blessing over her work in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.
Thanks for being here. Amen. 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 Hey, welcome to church, everybody. Amen. We're starting a teaching series today called Meeting Jacob's Son. And we're going to be looking at the life story of Joseph. And for some of us, this may be new. But uh, the story of Joseph is one of the most amazing stories in all of Scripture. We look at how the the book of Genesis gives us about 30% of that book dedicated just to the story of Joseph and his brothers. And so we'll be looking at that over the next few weeks. And what we see is that his life is like a complicated puzzle with all sorts of pieces. And eventually we see over the course of 13 chapters how those puzzle pieces fit together to display the glory of God. Do I have any puzzle people in the room? Come on, you grew up liking puzzles. You do puzzles. You're like hardcore. Yeah, I'm not. I think puzzles are terrible. Puzzles for me are just like painful, you know, and, uh, and you know, my kids love puzzles. They love to do puzzles, so they'll oftentimes, my oldest is 10, he is a phenomenal puzzle kid, and so he'll be like, Dad, Dad, can you help me with this puzzle? And I'll be like, you don't want to throw a football? Like, you know, anything but the puzzle, you know what I mean? Like, really? You really want to do a puzzle? And, uh, and what I've found is, you know, life, much like a puzzle, has many, many pieces, and some puzzles are simple, Right? Come on, you got to roll with my cheesy illustration today. I forgot my box. Most, uh, some puzzles are simple, like this one. This is my little three-year-olds, right? This little puzzle, you see that? Camera one, there it is. This little rocket puzzle, it's got 16 pieces, and just about anybody could figure it out because they put the picture underneath the puzzle, see? So it's like, bam, pretty simple, right? And sometimes life can feel like that, nice and simple, but then there are also complicated puzzles, right? Like this one, take a look at this one. This has 3,000 pieces. 3,000. I know some of you are stressing out right now. Like, no, what did you just do? 3,000 pieces to that puzzle. I mean, just so complicated and complex and nuanced. And of course, life can be like this too. When we're young, we think that life is simple and easy and we got it figured out. All the 17-year-olds say amen, right? Like I got this thing mapped out, right? But as we get older, it seems that life just gets more and more and more complex. And you know, if you're like a puzzle person, you know how to build the border and then you start to work on certain sections and separate the pieces. At least that's what I'm told. I don't have much puzzle strategy. But, but, uh, but you know, if you've done much puzzling, you know that there'll be times where where you get stuck on a section and you just have to move on. And throughout the course of any long puzzle, you are certain to feel at least at one point that you have lost some pieces, right? Where you're just like, there are just no pieces that fit here. We must have lost something under the couch, you know, because it feels like it's just lacking something. Well, the key to successfully completing a complicated puzzle is to have a clear picture of the end, right? Come on, wasn't that like, you see that little, okay, I just make sure you saw that, right? So, so your life, your life is like a puzzle. Your life is like a puzzle, fully complicated, and, and uh, sometimes you'll feel like you lost some parts. Sometimes you'll feel like things don't make sense, but if you stick with it, there is a picture that is getting clearer and clearer and clearer. The life of Joseph starts at 17 years old, and Joseph gets a picture of his puzzle. He starts to see what God's called him to. And we're told in the scripture that he is the favorite son of his father, Jacob, right? And so immediately we hear about some family tension. Let's pick it up in verse 3 of chapter 37. It says, Now Israel, that's his dad, also known as Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age. 
family problems already, right? And then it says this, and he made him a robe of many colors. Now, I don't know if you grew up in Sunday school and you looked at the robe of many colors. I hate to burst your bubble, but that's probably a poor translation of the original Hebrew, okay? It actually says literally a coat with long sleeves, all right? And some of us hear that and we go, Okay. In those days, a ruler would wear a, a coat with long sleeves and a servant would wear a coat with no sleeves. And so Jacob gives his son, Joseph, out of his 12 sons, he gives his 10th son or 11th son, Jacob, uh, Joseph, this coat with long sleeves. Obviously, it's a symbol of something God wants to do in his life. And so here's how his brothers respond. His brothers... But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now, it's in the midst of this family tension that now Joseph has a dream. And the dream is from God, and it's that he's going to be a great ruler and that he'll rule over his family. And so he, like a very strategic, wise 17-year-old, tells his brothers this, right? He says, guys, I had this dream. Isn't that exciting? And they're not thrilled. So then he has a second dream that he tells his brothers once again about how awesome he's going to be and how he's going to be this great ruler. And so it's in this context now that the tensions in their family begin to reach a boiling point. Stay with me in this story in verse 12. It says, now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. Everybody say Shechem. It's kind of fun to say, right? Shechem. Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing a flock at Shechem, come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, here I am. So he's willing to go. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring word me, bring me word. So he goes, okay. And now here's what the brothers do. Verse 18, it says, and when they saw him from afar, before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Okay. And they said to one another, here comes that dreamer. Come, let us kill him and throw him into the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben, he was the oldest, heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, "Uh, let us not take his life. Skip down to verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors or long sleeves or whatever you want to call it, that he wore. And they took him and they threw him into a pit and the pit was empty. It had no water in it. Then they sat down to eat and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead and their camels were bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah, who was one of the other brothers, said to his brothers, what profit is it if you kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us make some bank off this kid. Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother. All of a sudden their conscience woke up. He's our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver and took Joseph to Egypt. Verse 31. When they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood, and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, uh, this we have found. Please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. Everybody say pieces. Pieces. He was torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put on sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Many days. Title of today's sermon, I want to preach to you about the topic that every piece has its place. Every piece has its place. If you want to take notes, you can jot that down at the top of your page. Every piece has its place. Would you pray with me today? God in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of this narrative story. I pray that you reveal Jesus to us today. I pray that you show us who we are and how we are and why we are. 
God, would you meet us? Lord, every one of us needs a touch from heaven today. That's why we came here. Would you meet us today in Jesus' name? Amen. 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 Could you turn to somebody around you and find something to compliment about them? You know, like your hair looks nice. I love your eyes. What are you doing after church? Okay, one, one compliment. One. Just one's fine. You can stop now. All right, question for you. Can I get that number real quick? Right? Huh. I've looked through the book of numbers, baby. Yours isn't in it. You think you could? All right. <laughs> have you ever felt, Pastor Jokes, have you ever felt like you're moving in the opposite direction of your dream? Think about Joseph for a minute. Have you ever felt in your life like you're moving in the opposite direction of your dream? You've got this big dream. You've got this big passion. You believe it's a God-given dream. Except it seems like everything in life keeps deferring the dream, right? It keeps delaying the dream. And so maybe you got a big dream to have a family or a big dream to get married and you can't seem to find the right person. Or maybe you are married and you just can't seem to have a kid and you've been trying and trying and trying and things aren't working. Or maybe you've got this big dream for your job or for your occupation and the doors continually close. And it seems like time after time the dream gets Deferred. Langston Hughes, great poet, wrote a poem by that name. He said, what happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load. Maybe that's how you feel today. Or does it explode? What happens to a dream that is deferred? I don't know about you, but I've felt that way before. You look at Joseph's story, within one chapter, he goes from a young man with a big dream, right, to a young man in a pit. I mean, in just the course of one chapter, his entire dream implodes, and he finds himself in a position where his dream seems like it's a thousand miles away. And I could imagine that he was thinking to himself while he's sitting in that pit, this is definitely not the way it's supposed to go. You ever felt that before? This is just not the way it's supposed to go. My life plan was not supposed to take this turn. This is not the way it's supposed to go. I remember feeling that as a young man. I became a Christian my uh, freshman year in high school, was passionate about Jesus, and I was also passionate about basketball. And so I decided that clearly it was God's plan for me to go to the NBA, make millions of dollars, give it all away, and honor Jesus through my incredible basketball skills, right? And so I got into high school sure that that was clearly God's plan for my life. And my freshman year, I sat on the bench the entire year year. And my sophomore year, I sat on the bench the entire year. And I thought, what is, when are are the Michael Jordan jumping ability going to infuse from the Holy Spirit? Because it's not working yet. And so sophomore year, I was having a crisis of character. I'm serious. And I decided, God, how are you, how is this going to work? You have to bless me. This is your plan. This is the dream. When is it going to come to pass? And so in the middle of the summer, going into my junior year, there was a summer camp for all the kids on the team, on the high school team in my high school. And, you know, at that summer camp, it was important because, you know, it was where you found where you fit on the team who was who and who was best. And so I was excited about the camp. So it's Sunday night before I leave Monday morning for the camp and I'm playing Frisbee with some friends at the beach. And I run out to catch the Frisbee and I step on a bunch of glass in the water. Of course, because it's in West Haven Beach, right? And so I step on the glass in the water and my feet get all cut up. I'm bleeding everywhere. They rush me to the hospital. I get stitches all down the bottom of my two feet. And the doctor says to me, well, you won't be walking for at least a week. And I was like, a week? No, 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 no. You don't understand. I got to leave tomorrow for basketball camp. And he said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You will be sitting on your butt at home. And so I, in fact, was sitting on my butt at home. And I can remember that first Monday afternoon while all my friends were at camp figuring out who was who on the team. I'm sitting at home saying, God, this isn't the way it's supposed to work. This is not the plan. This is not the way things are supposed to go. 
Years later, in my 20s, God began to put in my heart a passion for New England, a passion for ministry in New England to see this least church region of the United States become the most spiritually vibrant place on earth. You hear me talk about that a little bit, right? And that's what we're believing God for in one generation in Jesus' name. And so this passion began to grow in my heart as a young man in my 20s. And so I began a traveling ministry and started traveling all over New England, the six states of New England, from Boston to to Maine, to every corner of New England, sharing Christ, doing college campus outreaches, internships, on and on and on, over a hundred events a year, preaching four and five times a week. And after seven years of traveling across New England a bajillion times, I got alone with God and said, Lord, where are we making the greatest impact? And after a few hours of reflection and consideration, I realized that really little change had occurred in New England at all. And there really wasn't anything that was consistently growing that we had been a part of. And I remember sitting there and saying to God, God, this isn't the way it's supposed to go, right? This seems like a dream deferred. I don't know if you've ever felt that. You start a business with another godly brother, and you're like, this is it. We're going we're gonna to make a lot of money. We're going to give it to Jesus. It's going to be awesome. And then he bails and leaves you holding the bag, right? And you're like, hey, uh, this isn't the way it was supposed Or you get married, and it's just incredible, and she's the greatest thing, and then she's psycho a week after the marriage. <laughs> and you're thinking to yourself, this isn't the way it's supposed to go, right? The dream, I hope that's not true. If you're sitting next to her, don't nudge her or anything like that, you know. The dream deferred. The puzzle doesn't make sense. See, we have a tendency to think that God only travels on the highway. We think he's got a big highway for me, you know. He's got a big main street for me. He's going to take me on the high road. It's going to be awesome. And then you find yourself in a pit and you have a crisis because you misunderstood who God was. You misunderstood how he operates. You misunderstood how he does things. Jot this idea down. We see it in the life of Joseph. God's GPS seldom takes you on the main road. His GPS seldom takes you on the main road. If you punch in the coordinates and give that GPS to God, he's going to say, great, dirt road. And you're going to go, no, 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 no. There's a highway. No, no, we're going to drive through the grass. No, no, God, or through the trees. Oh, this is not a good plan. No, that is the plan. That is the plan. Stay the course. It's rarely going to take you on the main road. That's just the way God operates. Look at Abraham, for example, right? If you know Abraham's story, he says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Really? Yeah, kill your son. Are you serious? That's the plan? He's supposed to be the heir? Yeah, it's all part of the plan. And of course, God stops him from killing the son. But I could imagine that that was a bit of a confusing instance for Abraham, right? Or the Apostle Paul, this guy who's trying to honor God, but he's persecuting the church. I mean, look at his life. It certainly didn't take the main road. Or you look at Jesus, of course, the great example, the most influential person in human history. And yet for 30 years of his life, he was working in a carpenter shop doing nothing of substantial knowledge that we know of, nothing of significance that we know of, but just staying the course on the back roads of life. I wonder if you're on the back roads of life right now. And I wonder if you've been a little bit frustrated with God, saying, God, this isn't the way it's supposed to go. Here's what I came to tell you today. The Holy Spirit does, in fact, have a plan. God, in fact, does have a dream for you, but he's rarely going to take you on the highways that you thought you were going to travel. So if you want to trust him, you can find the fullness of his plan, but it will rarely take you on the main road. Everybody doing okay so far? So I see myself, thanks for clapping there, that was awesome. I see myself, you know, in the, um, in the life of Joseph. I do. I see myself, I see that tension, you know. I see that tension of not seeing the fullness of what God has for me, but knowing that in my heart he's got a great plan. But if I'm honest, it's even more uncomfortable that I see myself in Joseph's brothers. 
And I know that that's not something that we like to think about because these guys were jealous, selfish, evil men who sold their brother. But they were so insecure, right? They were so insecure that their natural response, check this out, their natural response to Joseph's high calling was that that high calling automatically was an assault on their value. See, his promotion in their minds instantly meant their own demotion. In other words, they could not celebrate his favor because somewhere inside him succeeding meant that they were worth a little less. They had connected their value to the competition amongst their family. You with me today? And they were so insecure about it that it, it caused in them this deep sense of jealousy and hatred. I wonder how often you spend time on the internet just comparing other people's things, comparing other people's families, other people's houses, other people's cars, looking at social media going, dang, she's got good looking kids. Why do my kids look so funny looking? You know, you know, what's going on with that? Why do they have that? They just bought a new house. Why don't I get a new house? See, in their minds, promotion for Joseph meant demotion for them. Where's insecurity like that come from? I asked the Holy Spirit that this week. I was studying this text And I was just talking with the Lord. I said, Holy Spirit, where does insecurity like that come from? Because if I'm honest, I see that in myself sometimes. I see that that clinging desire to compare myself so that I can feel better about myself through somebody else's failure. God, why is that? God, that's something dark in me. Where does that come from? And I felt the Holy Spirit highlight for me verse 4 in chapter 37. Look at it with me again. It says this. It says, but when his brothers saw that their, check it out, saw that their father loved him, more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Did you catch that? In other words, their insecurity, don't miss this, worth coming to church, their insecurity was rooted in an uncertainty of the Father's love. I told you it was worth coming to church, right? Their insecurity was rooted in an uncertainty of the Father's love. They were insecure about the Father's love. And because they were insecure about the Father's love, they needed to compete and they needed to compare. I want to tell you today that every insecurity in your life, Balcony, every insecurity in your life is rooted in an uncertainty of the Father's love for you. And when the Father's love, and he's going to do it today in Jesus' name, when the Father's love is manifest in your heart and revealed to you in fullness, no longer will those insecurities dominate your soul. You're free from comparisons. You're free from competition. And you can run in the lane that God has for you in Jesus' name. This is God's plan for your life. And so the jealousy for them gets so bad, stay with me today, that they say, let's kill him. Now, this is a bit extreme, right? He got a coat. Let's kill him. You know what I mean? It's not like you're online, maybe you are, you know, looking at your friend from high school's success and going, dang, he got that promotion. I'm going to go kill him. Like, you know, it's a bit of an extreme response, right? It's like, whoa, fellas, fellas. I mean, maybe rip his coat. That's one thing. But killing him seems a bit intense, right? How does a person, don't miss this, how does a person make a leap like that? How do I go from I'm jealous of your coat to I want to kill you? What kind of leap is that? The only way a person makes a leap like that, stay with me today, if it's a behavior that they've learned since they were a little kid, And if you know the story of Jacob, you know that their father has been a deceiver his whole life. You know that it was in fact their father Jacob, these brothers' father, that had deceived his dad and had taken the blessing from his brother Esau so that he could have favor in his family. He had been manipulative and deceptive his entire life. And so as little kids, they grew up knowing the story of their dad and seeing the behavior of their dad. And because it's been modeled for them their whole life, it's just normal to 
act like that in a family connection. I'm telling you today, you are here and there are many of us who are trapped in the cycle of our lineage and you're making the same mistakes your mom made and you're making the same mistakes your dad made and you're still bound in that addiction. You're still bound in that insecurity about money. You're still bound in that unwillingness to commit to a deep relationship because you learned it from your dad when he left when you were four. I'm preaching better than you're clapping today. It's okay. It's crazy. If you study it, it's interesting. They even do it the same way their dad did it. Their dad killed a goat, took the hair off the goat, put it on his arms, and tricked his blind father into believing that he was his hairy brother. All right? These boys kill a goat, take the blood of that goat, dip their brother's coat in it, and trick their father into believing that their brother had died. I mean, it's all about the goat, right? But here's what I want to tell you today. If you're trapped, maybe in the lineage of your past, if you're trapped in this cycle of having to compare yourself to others, if you're trapped in this insecurity, never knowing that you're worth anything or good enough, if those thoughts plague your mind, i got to get a better job so I look better to people around me. i got to get a nicer car so that people think I'm, I'm more important than, than, than I look right now. Always concerned about what others think. Friend, today, the Father wants to reveal his love to you in such a profound way that you're delivered from those comparisons. That's his plan. That's his plan. See, God has a dream for you, but you can't discover God's dream for you if you're staring at somebody else. You can't discover God's dream for you if you're staring at somebody else. His unique course is just for you. But here's what we have to come to terms with, okay? You can spend your whole life saying, why did Joseph get the coat? You can spend your whole life saying, why did my sister get that promotion? Why did that other person I know succeed? Why didn't I get this? Why didn't I get that? And you just have to come to terms with this simple fact. You can jot it down today. God's favor rarely seems fair. His favor rarely seems fair. It's just the way it is. From your perspective, it'll often seem unfair. But you have to trust him that he has your best interests at heart. You know the story of Paul, uh, Peter and John, right, at the end of the Gospel of John, where Peter and John are, are both seeing Jesus now risen from the dead. And Jesus pulls Peter aside and he says, Pete, I'm going to make you a great leader in the church, and you're going to die for your faith in me. And the first thing that Peter does is he goes, what about John? Right? And I love Jesus' response Because Jesus' response is the response he gives to you today. He just says, what is it to you? What is it to you? And then he looks at him and says, just a short phrase that could change your life. He just says, you, just follow me. You, just follow me. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about them. What is it to you? You, just follow me. And if you will just follow him, what you will find is that the pieces of your puzzle start to make sense. The pieces of your puzzle start to come together. All the various aspects of life start to click. See, in my life as a teenage kid sitting on the couch wishing I was at basketball camp on my butt with all types of scars on my feet saying, God, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. It was in that moment that the Holy Spirit began to speak to my heart and say, I have a plan for you in ministry. I have called you to preach. No one in your family ever has before, but I'm going to raise you up and I'm going to give you a passion to do this. It was during that break that God said, walk away from basketball, Justin. You weren't going anywhere anyways. Walk away from basketball. 
and step into the calling I have for you. See, when I was traveling all over New England, back and forth, back and forth, six dates, 100 dates a year, doing all these different things, saying, God, this is useless. I didn't realize that it was the school of the Holy Spirit. I didn't realize that he was preparing me to plant churches all across New England. I didn't realize that he was teaching me the geography, teaching me production, teaching me how to set up and tear down, teaching me church structures, and showing me what I needed for the next step in life. See, there's many of us in the room that you think in your life, the pit that you're living in is just a deep not realizing that that pit is a doorway. That pit is a doorway. God has a plan for that part of your life. It's a doorway into the next thing he has for you. And if you know the story of Joseph, it's true in his life. See, he gets thrown in a pit, but that throwing him in a pit leads him to Egypt. And Egypt leads him to serving Potiphar. And serving Potiphar leads him to prison. And prison leads him to exaltation. And he finds himself the prime minister of Egypt, put in a unique circumstance to save the people of Egypt from a famine, rescue his family, and bless the whole world. And so it's through that pit of despair that God somehow takes the circumstances circumstances of life and brings him right into the fullness of his calling. That's the plan. You might be looking at your puzzle saying, this doesn't make any sense at all. I have no idea what this thing is. I'm missing pieces. There's dark pieces. I'm sure some of my pieces got lost along the way. This is a disaster. I have no idea where I'm going. Or you might find yourself saying, Justin, I've been stuck on a back road for so long. I have these big purposes and plans, but I'm like, I'm like in, the, I'm in the boonies by myself in my soul. Like, what, what is the plan here? I heard somebody say it like this. This really helped me. I want you to jot this down. God is preparing you for everything he has prepared for you. God is preparing you for everything he has prepared for you. That's the plan. He's preparing you for everything he has prepared for you. See, God is a master architect. He is a master architect and he knows every nuance of his creation. And everything is intentional. And every one of our pieces he will somehow supernaturally, divinely, and sovereignly place in his grand design. As I read read this story and studied this story... God began to open up his truth to me, and I became convinced that the story of Joseph in the Old Testament was not placed here just so that we could know Joseph's history. It was not even placed here just so that we could be encouraged by the truths found in the story. This story was placed there, I believe, primarily for one specific purpose. In fact, I believe it's the reason every Old Testament story was placed in the Old Testament. This story is there as a shadow or a picture or a type of a greater story. A story that reveals the very salvation of humanity. This story, with every detail being intentional, speaks of someone else. See, there is one who is the beloved son of his father, but he's hated and mocked by his brothers because they don't know the father's love for them personally. So when he leaves his father and seeks them out in the wilderness, they find him and conspire to kill him. They tear off his robe, just like it says in Matthew 27. And when they mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, but the robe that they tore off him gets dipped in the blood of the lamb. And Revelation 19 tells us he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood by which the name by which 
which is called the word of God. See, he was betrayed for silver, just like Joseph was by Judas. He was cast into a waterless pit called the grave, but that pit did not hold him in Jesus' name. He steps out of the pit. He's raised from the grave. He takes his place at the right hand of the king, and then he uses, don't miss this, he uses his power to deliver those who had oppressed him. He uses his power to free those who had left him. He uses his power to heal those who had abandoned him. See, this is the great story of all stories. Jesus is the true Joseph. Jesus is the suffering servant who uses the power he's given to rescue and bring victory to those that did not deserve it. And just as his brothers, and we'll find this out in the weeks to come, just as his brothers run to him and are given favor, not because of what they've done, but simply because. Just as they run to him and are received and forgiven, so you must run to Christ and you will be received and fully forgiven. In Jesus' name. And when you do, when you do, he takes your failures and your sins, your success and your talents, your circumstances, he even takes your pain and the tragedies of life. And somehow he weaves them all together, just like he did for Joseph, into an eternal story that reflects the glory of his son. And that's his purpose for you. His purpose for you is that he would make you the image of his son on the earth. So the question today is, what's he calling you to do right now? It's pretty simple. He's calling you to trust him. Not, no, 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 don't miss it. Not like, okay, like, you know, 70%. No, no, no. Like, like radical, absolute abandonment to his truth. What would happen if hundreds of people all across New England actually radically abandoned ourselves to the will and purpose of God on the earth? What would happen if you, in your family, were no longer stressed about the bills, no longer afraid of tomorrow, were living by a different code of conduct? What would happen if your heart was so convinced that God was for you that you were irrevocably committed to his path in the middle of the pit and at the top heights of the blessing of God? No matter where you were, you were not tied to the circumstance. You were tied to the Savior. This is God's plan for you. To be deeply convinced in every way. Deeply convinced in every way that every peace has its place. Every peace has its place. Every peace has its place. Will you stand to your feet with me today? I got a question for you. Right now, you feel like you're in the pit. I don't know your life circumstances. Maybe you've just gone through a terrible loss. Some challenges. You say, Justin, there's no way out of this. You burned every bridge. You feel like there's no open doors. There's no hope. So I don't know, I don't know how to get out of here. I've got a word for you today. It's from the prophet Zechariah, speaking of Jesus. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. I believe that's a prophetic word for you right now. It speaks of Jesus coming to earth. But I believe he also says it to you right now. He's coming to you righteous, having salvation is he. As for you also, verse 11, because of the blood 
of my covenant with you, the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross for your sins. Check this out. I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. He's here right now. Can you believe that with me? He's here right now. God's going to meet you at your level of expectation. Let it be done according to your faith. He's here right now. Right now, the Spirit of Jesus is here to lift you out of that pit in your soul. You've been battling depression. You've been fighting with anxiety. You're even sweating right now because of the fear in your heart. The Spirit of Jesus wants to take hold of that fear, rip it out of your soul, and cast it out right now. Right now, right now, right now, right now. What about the dreams that are in your heart? Maybe you've had a dream that's been deferred so many times that it's sagging like a heavy load. It's barely hanging on. That dream feels like it's just a forgotten idea. I believe that right now the Holy Spirit is here to renew your faith. Now you didn't come here just to hear words. You came here to experience the word. The Word made flesh in your own life. The Holy Spirit is here right now, and He wants to infuse you with a renewed faith for that dream. I believe He will do it right now. Come, Holy Spirit. You're here, and the truth is you're tangled up in comparisons, always plagued by competition and comparison in your own heart, insecure about who you are. I believe that right now, the Father wants to unveil his love for you so that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that his course for you is good and you don't need to compare yourself with anybody else to feel important. All across this room, would you just lift up your hands as a symbol of surrender and victory? You don't have to. I'm just inviting you to right now. I want to pray that God's Spirit would come upon you and then we're going to sing together. And as we sing, I just encourage you to open up your soul to the Lord and let your heart worship him today. Spirit of Jesus, I ask you to move. Spirit of Jesus, I ask you to come. Sweep into this room like a rushing mighty wind. Breathe upon your people. Renew, refill, revive. In Jesus' name.